Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays at voxoc.com slash live and at the El Dorado Performing Arts Center. Hello, hello. Good morning. Oh, nice. Look at all these chairs that can't be wait to be filled. I love it. I love it. Um, good morning. Uh, so glad that you're all here. My name is Andy. I'm one of the pastors here at Vox Community. I'm also the creative director. So anything you um, see, read, and hear, I mostly have my hands on. So if it's all terrible, it's all my fault. So I appreciate uh, Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> you can learn more about us at voxoc.com. Um, yeah, I'm. Uh, we're middle of summer. The heat is here. Um, lots of people are on vacation. I just came off of a three weeks vacation. I don't really call it vacation. It, when you have kids, it's more of trips and um, stretching experiences, um, as they call them. Um, but uh, it's. Uh, man, this has been a cool journey. We're a little older than two years old. Um, Last week, uh, we had Jack West uh, teach with us, a good friend of ours. Um, we did have a very good question um, actually come in that we thought was great. Uh, but what we did was we actually hosted Jack um, on Facebook Live. We have a new show that we're doing um, every single week. Ronnie and I um, are getting on Facebook. Um, the dates may change. I'll always try to kind of let you guys know when it is. The idea is not so much that you have to be watching us live in the moment, uh, but to go back and watch it in that way. But uh, we wanted to kind of continue to maintain one of our core values, which is the church should be the safest place to talk about anything. Um, so while we um, answer questions here in the room, uh, we share stories and uh, carry a certain amount of levity to the types of dialogues that we're interested in, um, Ronnie and I wanted to still have another place where we can engage in um, some of these really big conversations about controversial issues in the church, uh, controversial issues amongst our society and our community and our culture. And so uh, Ronnie and I have started that and uh, we're going to continue to do that on an ongoing basis. So this past week on Friday, uh, we actually sat down with Jack and got a, a really good chance to hear a lot more about his uh, personal story. Um, it's kind of geared around the idea of Jack being a recovering pastor. And uh, there's there's so many layers and that goes really deep down and uh, super exciting. So we did get a question um, from last week in that sermon. Um, go watch the Facebook Live. We answered that question there. Um, and that is uh, super good too. Uh, also, uh, today we do have um, our monthly annual picnic. Our mo- monthly annual. Um, that's a new thing here at Vox. So we're really different. We actually have these new monthly annual uh, picnics. Nope. Uh, we do uh, monthly picnics kind of through the season of spring uh, through summer before we hit the fall. Uh, and that's just right after service, right on the green lawn. Um, so if you didn't know, you know, feel free to go run and grab food and come back. But a lot of us are just going to be hanging out um, and doing that together. So um, I think that's it. Ronnie, I'm going to go ahead and bring you out. and We'll get going there. Um, last thing we'll do, there will be a bit of an announcement at the end of service, just a little more about uh, this uh, Facebook group we have called Life Around the Table. So um, if you uh, currently are looking for more opportunities to engage and connect with the community, um, you can do that through Facebook. Uh, go find that group. It's called Life Around the Table. Um, we also have it on our website, and you can uh, sign up there too. So take it away. Great. Thanks, Andy. Good morning, folks. How are we doing? Good. Well, we've got a lively bunch. Uh, so, you know, I want to just kind of touch on what Andy was saying about uh, questions and the church being the safest place to talk about anything. Uh, Instagram is doing this new thing. For those of you who are with social media, Instagram is doing this new thing where you can ask questions. A uh, person can say, hey, I'm here to answer questions, and you can ask questions and they answer them. Uh, and so, you know, 
for those of you who aren't familiar with my wife and I's story, there was an affair in our marriage, and so we were able to sort of open that up and, and help people walk through that. Uh, but one of the things that I noticed uh, was that I got over 80 plus questions in a 24-hour period of people asking about different aspects of um, forgiveness and hurt and healing. And it sort of kind of just told me something, that uh, I think what is indicative of our church culture is that we don't have places to have conversations about honest things that happen in our life. Uh, people don't feel safe to ask questions. I think on the other side of it, people don't feel safe enough to answer those questions. Um, and so I think our commitment to that is that, hey, we want to be this place. And so we value questions, we value feedback. Um, and so I would just say, again, if there's questions about what we do, why we do it, how we do it, um, this church, the church culture at large, or just about scripture, like we want to hear those things. So please feel free to text any of those things. Um, and we'll get to those as soon as we can. We usually get them into the service. If not, Andy and I will get them on the Facebook live as well. So uh, yeah, ask your questions. We want them. We need them. It helps us understand what you're going through, what you're experiencing, because let's be honest, when you work on a church staff, you're very blind, right? You think that you know everything and you don't know what people are actually uh, processing with and feeling. So we actually need that from you so that it helps shape what we do. So cool. Is that a deal? All right, so we're going to look at John chapter 2. John chapter 2 uh, this morning, uh, which is a really great passage. And I just want to just preface this. I got super Bible nerdy geeked out on this passage. So I have to be careful because when I get super nerdy geeked out on a passage, I tend to go really fast and thinking like I'm going mi- to, I want you to just catch it because I'm so excited about it, but I can miss it. So I want to make sure I go slow that you're able to follow along with what's happening here because John does some magnificent stuff in the text. And so I don't want us to miss it, but I'm going to read this, uh, this passage. It's in John chapter two, starting in verse one, goes all the way to 11. Most of you probably have heard or know of the idea of this passage. Um, it is the wedding at Cana. Um, and what happened at Cana? Does anybody know? A miracle of wine. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's like, wine, wine, and, and yeah, Cana. Yeah, exactly. Okay. John chapter two, starting in verse one. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus's mother was there and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. Now, some scholars believe uh, that this was no coincidence that Jesus' mother was there and he was invited because Cana is either three miles or eight miles from uh, Nazareth, which is Jesus's hometown. So that the likelihood that Jesus knew people or relatives were at the wedding is highly likely, which is why she was there. So he gets invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother comes to him. She says to Jesus, they have no more wine. Okay, so then Jesus responds, woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. Now I wanna stop for a second. Unless you are the incarnate son of God, you should probably not refer to your mother as woman when she asks you to do something, right? That's dangerous territory. But Jesus replies, he says, he says uh, uh, this, is not, this has nothing to do with us. So what is Jesus doing? His response is actually a polite response. We kind of miss it in the cultural nuance. This idea of woman is not him being disrespectful. It's actually referring to his mother as ma'am. So what he's doing is he's delineating himself from his mother. He's actually saying, I am no longer your baby. I'm a man on a mission to go do something. And so how often do you refer to your mom as ma'am? So you see what's happening in the text that that Jesus is delineating himself from his mother and saying, my time has not yet come. But then his mother told the servants, I'll do whatever he tells you, just like moms do, right? Because you'll always be your mom's baby. It doesn't matter what happens. You're going to be the son of God who's going to be, you know, save the world. And she just goes, oh, just do what my, whatever my baby says. Just, just do it. It'll be fine, right? So verse 6, standing nearby were six stone water jars used for the Jewish ceremonial washing. 
Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. And when the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So at a wedding, there's always a master of ceremonies. There's always a person who's hosting to make sure everyone's okay. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted that water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew where that water came from, he called the bridegroom over. A host, as a host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everybody has had a lot to drink, so what they would do is they'd take the wine and they would water it down, right? So it would last longer. He says, when everyone's had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine because your palate, everything sort of changes after you've had enough. So he kind of, they're kind of like tricking the people, right? But the master servant says, but you, you've kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So, John is doing something amazing in this text. Now, it's interesting because John is the only gospel that has this account of the miracle at Cana. You have to understand who John is writing to, the context of the people who are receiving this letter. This is a group of Jewish Christians um, who are dealing with the pressure of Jewish synagogues and, and, and Judaism that is trying to push in on them and convince them that Jesus is not the Messiah, that they need to go back to the old ways of doing things, their old ceremonial, sacrificial ways of living. And so John has this way of writing that he's calling his readers and his listeners back to what they've always known, but then he's tying back to who Jesus is because what he's trying to do is convince them and show them that Jesus is actually God with flesh on. He is the God-man. He's the one who came as the full representation of who God is, and this is why we can put our faith and our trust in him. And so while he is telling his audience and his readers that several thousand years ago, it says something to us today which is we can look to Jesus and see how God is, see who God is in the way that he loves us. So this message is called Drinks at a Party. Drinks at a Party. Uh, we're gonna dig into that a little bit and kind of show what, what, what John is doing in his text as he's writing to them. So would you pray with me this morning? God, we thank you uh, for this time. We thank you for uh, a chance to gather together. We thank you for this community of people who um, have been bonded together uh, through love and through servanthood and sharing and our stories. And we pray, Lord, that you continue uh, what's happening in this room in our hearts and outside of the walls here and in the communities that we live, work, and breathe. We pray that um, you would use us uh, as a way to show your beauty to the world. We're thankful for this, God. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Anybody, anybody really enjoy going to weddings? Honestly, just anybody? Okay, yeah, a few of you. Yeah, some of you. Okay, I, it's hard when you have to go to a wedding and you're not like involved or doing anything in it because it's like it takes a lot of time. And uh, if you know somebody close, it's a different story. For me, I get to do a lot of weddings. Um, I get to officiate them. And so it's really fun for me. I, I, love, I love getting a chance to go to weddings, especially going to weddings with my wife because, fellas, if you've ever taken your wife to a wedding, they get inspired. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Love sort of comes back into the air. Yes, somebody back there understands what I'm saying, right? <laughs> Something about weddings and love brings some, you know, it just flashes back. And so it's always fun to go to weddings. And it's, for me, it's always emotional. Like, it doesn't matter how many times I stand up there. And when I see the bride come down and she starts walking, it's like the, the tears. Like, I'm not an emotional guy normally. But for whatever reason, I just like, oh, my God. And every bride is the most beautiful bride I've ever seen. Like they come while you're like, oh my, the, the glory of them just shines as they come down, right? And so it's always fun to be at these weddings. But you know, like for us, you know, weddings are quick. 
You know, in our, in our, in our time, in our culture, sort of weddings are quick and, and they don't last very long and we go right to this, the ceremony and then we get right through that and then we go to the reception, which is what everybody really wants to do anyway, right? So in Jesus's context, in Jesus's day, weddings are very special. And so what happens is there's this invitation to come to this wedding celebration, right? Which should tell us something about how we should live our lives. Because I think sometimes the idea of party and celebration and enjoyment, we sort of miss that in our everyday life. Like we get so wrapped up and busy and we've got to do things and we don't have time. And I, sometimes that's why it's like, oh, I got to go to a wedding. I got so much I have to do. But I think what we see from Jesus is like, if there's anybody who's on a mission to accomplish work, it's the son of God himself, right? He's got a mission to do and he gets invited to this wedding and he takes his boys and he goes, we're going to go have some drinks at a party. Come with me. And so they make this journey to Cana and they get there and there's this party happening. And, and I think what we see from Jesus is, hey, there's a time and a place to celebrate, to be with each other, to not get so rushed, to not get so in a place where you feel like you have to hold everything together, but sometimes we just need to kind of let loose and just be free, right? Instead of get so caught up and anxious and we live in a world today that just constantly is pushing anxiety and don't stop and keep moving and keep moving and here Jesus takes time to stop. He goes to this wedding. Now again, this is no ordinary wedding, right? Like the weddings for us, maybe two, maybe three, maybe four hours max, right? In Jesus's day, um, weddings could last days, Sometimes weeks, as long as two weeks a wedding could be. If you've got lots of family, you've got lots of people, um, the, the villages would come out. People would come from all over. They would travel. And at different times throughout the ceremony of this two-week thing, people would come, people would leave, people would show up. And so you can understand there's lots and lots of preparation and time that has to happen in this. And Jesus takes time to be with the people that are near him, people that are close to him. And so this tells us something about who God is, doesn't it? That God wants us to enjoy these moments of celebration. God wants us to be in community. God wants us to be in these moments where we can sort of just let loose and be together. So as we look at the text and we understand what's going on, there's a couple things that we have to think about. So when a wedding is prepared today, think about how much work goes into that, right? So when a couple gets engaged, they usually set their engagement, you know, a year. And some people, it's like two years, you know, before they get married because there's lots of preparation. They got to get family together. They got to figure out where. If it's a destination wedding, it becomes much more complicated and the logistics are involved. You got to get the cake and you got to try all the stuff. And so you know what it takes to put a wedding together. That's a four to five hour event. So multiply that times 10 if you have a two week long wedding ceremony, right? Some of you were like, oh my gosh, that'd be insane. Imagine doing that. So there's, there's a message that's going on here that, that John is getting across to his readers. Now, when I was reading this and I was studying this, this is what blew my mind. Sometimes when you read it, you go, you find these things and you go, oh my gosh, I didn't see that before. And you, you can kind of start to think to yourself, is John being cryptic on purpose? The answer is no. John's not being cryptic. John is speaking the language of the people that are listening because they would have picked up on his cues, the things that he was saying, the words that he was using, the imagery that he was displaying in his literature. He's very, very, very intentional the way that he was writing. And you can miss it, right? This is what I love about the Bible. I had a professor tell me this, the Bible is like the ocean. It's deep enough that an elephant can sink and yet shallow enough that a child can play. It's so complex, right? But just for a second, if we understand what John is doing, the imagery that he's painting here, it's super important because a bridegroom, the bridegroom's job was intense because he had to provide for everything. 
How crazy is that, ladies? Right? For those of you who've been engaged or are engaged or have been through a wedding recently, how much work did you have to put in versus your soon-to-be husband, right? The husband is like, oh, I'm just going to go along for the ride, and it's either yes or no, and I don't really care, right? Like, we'll just taste some cakes, taste some food, whatever you like, honey, right? Like, like there's no investment on his part. In this day, the bridegroom had to do everything, everything. And it was on him, like everything. The way that the, the whole celebration went off was on his shoulders. Can you imagine? Ladies are like, yes, come on, right? That's how we want it. So ladies, when your man looks at you and goes, ah, whatever you want, you can look at him and tell him it's biblical. Go, no, the Bible mandates you to be involved. This is on you, right? And you can't get out of it now. So there's something super important, right? So this idea of the bridegroom preparing for the wedding, right? Now, hold on to that image for a second because we're gonna come back to that because remember, John is doing something in the text. He's getting something across to the people, to the, reader, the listeners who were there, who were listening. Now, the bridegroom who had to prepare, there was three things that you needed to have a successful wedding. The bride, right? The groom, right? And you had, you had to have wine. Can I get an amen? They had to have those three things. If you didn't have those three things, this was a catastrophic failure, right? Your wedding, you disgraced, dishonored yourself, dishonored your bride, the family. So there's a lot of pressure to make sure that this thing goes off right. So there's this intense pressure. And so if you think about what's happening in this story, they're out of wine. They've been into this wedding for a three or four days is what the text tells us. It's three or four days since the wedding has begun and they're already out of wine. And so the pressure, right? So the master of ceremonies, the guy who's kind of overseeing it is probably freaking out. And in fact, the reason why Mary comes to Jesus is because women at that time were usually involved in the preparation. So if anybody would have known that supplies were running low, it would have been the women first. And so Mary knows the situation at hand. She sees that the wine is going down. And so it would have been unthinkable in this day to have a wedding run out of wine. So Mary knows this and she's distraught. And so she comes to Jesus, what faith, right? She comes to Jesus and she, and she, and she says, we're, we're running out of wine. As if she just knows, right? As if she's just going to, Jesus will take care of it, right? But I think what Jesus is, uh, Mary's words are indicative of, of even us as a culture and as a people, right? Maybe your life is running low. Maybe it's running dry. That sense of joy and hope and fulfillment that you once had is running low. And it's getting critically low. The lights are going off, you're getting bored, you're finding yourself drifting, you're not sure, you're doubting, you're going, I don't know. And you get nervous. And so we want that, that, that we want to be filled. We need, the, we need the wine. We need something to come back. And so Mary comes to Jesus and she goes, we're running out of wine, can you fix this? Now, when, when, when Jesus says, woman, what does this have to do with me? He's delineating and saying, listen, I will not be manipulated. I can't be manipulated by you just because you need something. Now that says something, doesn't it? It says something about who God is to us today. That in our prayers, we cannot manipulate God to get the things that we think we need, right? This is a big point. Because how does prayer work in our life? What do we do? What, what do we ask for? How do we ask for things? Does it matter what we ask? I just had a conversation with a, a friend of mine who's, who's not a follower of Jesus, and, and he, was, he was remarking and laughing how, um, he said, oh, I have some Christian friends, they pray for parking spots when they go to the mall. 
And he just thought that was funny. And I go, that is really funny. Like, you pray for parking spots to be open. He's like, yeah, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, yeah, how does that work? How does that work? Like, because have you prayed for a parking spot and not gotten it? Does that mean that God doesn't love you, right? Like, what are the implications if God doesn't give you a parking spot? That's dangerous territory. And so I think Mary coming to Jesus saying, we need wine, we're running low, is sort of, you know, Jesus has taken this moment to say, listen, I will not be manipulated. I can't be tricked into doing things just because you want them done in the moment. But then something happens that, that, that John is alluding to in his readers because what does his mom say after Jesus says, this is, what does the problem have to do with me? She goes, go with him, do whatever he says. So the readers, because they're so in tune with the first five books of the Bible, this is a callback. You guys know what a callback is in comedy? You know, when you tell a joke and then you come back and you do, another, you, you do a callback to that? This is a callback to Genesis when Pharaoh is in the land and there's a famine and people come to Pharaoh and go, where do we get our water? Where do we get our food? And what does Pharaoh say? He goes, go with Joseph, do whatever Joseph says. There's this faith that comes, there's this provision that comes through faith. Essentially, what he's saying is Mary has this faith that provision will come through Jesus. That provision will come. Maybe it's not what she thinks it is, but provision will come. And so the readers are listening. Remember, what is John's goal? To, to remind these people who Jesus is. And so he goes back to the Old Testament, to what they know, and he goes, listen, God will provide through faith. If you believe, God will provide through faith. So there's something going on in the text that's huge, and you could miss this, and we do miss it, because we're not familiar with the Old Testament scriptures the way that the the first century readers are, right? The way they understand the text. So they would have heard this, they would have understand what's going on. Now, here's where it gets really interesting, because John uses this water motif in in his letters. So water is an important literary device in John's gospel. Are you with me? Are you guys following with me? Okay, because I get excited about this, so I want to make sure you're with me. So think about John's gospel. For those of you who aren't familiar with John's narrative, in the very beginning, we see John baptizing in water, right? Then the next thing we see in in, uh, chapter two is this wedding at Cana. Water turns to wine. After that, we see see, uh, Jesus talking to Nicodemus about being baptized in water, right? So water comes up again. Then again, you hear water happening. Jesus is the river of life. Water comes flowing from him. The Samaritan woman at the well, do you remember the Samaritan woman at the well? And he's at the well and he says, I have the water that will, you'll never thirst again. So water is an important motif in John's gospel. So he's, he's telling his people, subtly and not so subtly, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. See who Jesus is. See what he does here. Now, here's what gets crazy. The six stone water pots. Remember that in the very beginning of the story. Jesus says, tell the servants to get the stone water pots and fill them with water. Why is that important? Well, the reason is because the six stone water pots were there, filled with water for purification. In this time, in first century, uh, in the first century where they were at, clean and unclean was everything. It was the highest order of the day. Because if you were ritually clean, meaning that you had no sin because you did all the right routines, then you had access to God. So you know what that meant, right? If you were marginalized, if you didn't have money, if you were poor, if you were on the outskirts of society, you could never be clean. You always had to be on the outside. And obviously the rich people who had money, who could do all the ceremonial stuff, found themselves clean. And so you saw this gap, this hierarchy happening. 
And so these stone water pots were there as a, as a way and a symbol of purifying, making yourself clean. It was of the highest order of the day. It said, who was in and who was out? Again, water being the big motif in John's letter, right? He's talking about water again. He brings the, the reader's attention. He goes back to the water. And they knew what the water stood for. It meant purification. So then uh, Jesus takes the water pots and he actually ignores their use, right? So the water is for purification. He goes, take all the purifying water and go, the, 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 the pots, and go fill them with water, right? So they, the servants go, okay. So they take all these big water pots and they fill them with water. And then he tells the bridegroom, he, he says, go ahead and taste the water. So he takes the cup, he dips it in the water, and he takes a drink. And when he takes a drink, he's astonished. Whoa, wait a second. This isn't the watered down wine. And he also knew what happened. He saw that this was water at one point. And he takes a drink and he goes, oh my gosh, this is the good wine. This is the, good, the, the best wine where most people would serve this first and then water it down over time. No, 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 you, you provided the best wine at the end. So what's happening in the text? What is John saying? Well, remember, the bridegroom, remember that, remember that imagery, the bridegroom. The bridegroom is the one who is to provide for everybody in the ceremony. And the Israelites, the Jewish people, understood that God was the bridegroom and that he was coming for his bride. You with me? Jesus steps in as the one who is the bridegroom and provides. He calls everyone to take the water pots, fill the water pots, they become the wine. John is telling his readers, listen, the water that you use to purify yourself, the rituals that you used to have to do in order to get yourself clean so that you could, be, so you could stop being unclean and that you had favor before God, I do away with all of that. That is no longer relevant anymore. Take the water, fill it up, and when you dip into that, you get wine. And what is wine in first century? It's a celebration. It's a new day. It's time to celebrate together because the old is gone and this new has come. And so what John is telling his readers is, look, all the old stuff that you're so attached to, the things that hold you back, the things that tell you you have to do this in order to come before God, or I have to get this squared away in my life, or I have to do this right, or I'm not quite there yet, and maybe I'm not clean enough, and I've done some things, and I'm not sure. No, no, no. The water's gone. The clean, the unclean is gone. It's all clean through me. It's all been purified. You come through me because I provide the good wine the best for last. So all these first century Jewish readers who were hearing this, oh my gosh, it's starting to click, right? They're like, oh my gosh. We've been so convinced that we have to do all of these things in order to be right before God and they're trying to push us back to this. John is saying, no, 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 that's gone. That's gone. The new wine has come. The bridegroom is here. He provides for you. So, when we look to Jesus to see who God is, what does it tell us? It tells us a couple things about who God is. First is, if your water is running low, if you're feeling dry, if you're feeling empty, God says take all six water pots and overfill, overflow them. It means that God wants to give in abundance. He wants to fill you up in your life. We see that over and over again in John's gospel, right? Jesus says, water comes for me that's flowing out of me, that never stops. And, and, and Jesus says, I am the life, and I give you life and life abundantly. God wants to fill you. 
the water that was for purification is no longer needed. So all of the old things that tell you you're not good enough, you're not clean enough, you haven't done enough things over here to get access is gone. Isn't that grace? Isn't that the beauty of grace? Grace is this thing that says everything that you want and you're striving for, you already have. So the feelings of I'm not complete, I'm unwhole, Jesus goes, no, you're whole and you're complete through me. You come. You come to me and drink because you're not just gonna have the ordinary watered down wine, you get the best wine. You get the best of Jesus. Think about what the story is telling us today. That whatever things you hold on to that maybe just keep you from stepping into Jesus and the life that he has for us, he goes, it's gone. I've made a way for that. I made a way for you to come and experience all of me, the fulfillment of all of who I am in your life. I'm here. No more gaining access, no more working hard to try to get it, no more rituals, no more routines. No, you come freely to me. And he gives the best wine for last. The story is about celebrating this. The bridegroom has come and he has provision for his people. It's, it's true then, it's true now, it's true for us that we have access to it. So what does it look like for us today to enter into that? To remind ourselves in those moments of fear and anxiety and I don't know if I can, I don't know if I'm enough and I'm not sure and all the insecurity and the doubt and all of that. He says, come, come drink of the good wine that I have for you. In a little bit, we're gonna do a communion, uh, a Eucharist together, which is the focal point of why we gather here at Vox. And the Eucharist, oh, couldn't it not symbol more this moment that John is trying to talk to his readers about? See, we do open communion here because we believe everybody has access to Jesus. Some denominations in some different places say, no, you can't, and you have to go through these different steps in order to get it. No, but see, the story is, those were all the old water pots, the purification. It was all that symbolism that said you had to do this in order to be clean before you could take. And what Jesus is saying is, no, you're all welcome. I've done away with that. I've got the best wine for you. Come and partake. Let's celebrate. So together, we get to celebrate the life, death, the resurrection of Jesus, all are welcome, whether you're a doubter, a skeptic, a non-believer, or maybe just somebody who's been hurt by the church, pushed aside or marginalized, you're welcome to come and celebrate because the bridegroom has come to provide for his people. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for um, these incredible books, the writings that were here, and while they're not written to us, there's so much there for us that we can take and we can hold on to, and we pray that uh, this community would hold on to that, that, that in our moments of, of fear, um, in our moments of anxiety, in our moments of doubt and skepticism that sometimes can hold us back, uh, I pray that that doubt and skepticism would pull us closer, that we would dig in deeper, that we would push ourselves um, more into the relationship with you because you've done away with the old and you've brought the new. God, we pray um, for anybody in here who uh, might be struggling um, with understanding their place. Are they welcome? I pray that that would, that, would, that would go away, that they would see through this story, that they would see through this beautiful text that they're welcome 
not only welcome, they're wanted. They're invited to come and partake of the good wine that you have for them. So Jesus, we're grateful for the opportunity to gather in community to hear your word that gives us life, gives us hope. Um, We love you, Jesus. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Oh, yeah. You know, I knew uh, I was excited about this message. I thought, oh, it's going to be great. And I go back after I'm done teaching. This guy's asleep in the back, so I know it was good. Uh, this is our chunker. This is Maverick. He's a gigantic baby, huh? Uh, he's healthy. Hey, so I know I've heard some, uh, we've had conversations out on the patio with different people and talking about how do we get more connected at Vox. And so uh, I have Carly and Heather here who are our community pastors. who are going to share a little bit about how you can further get connected here at Vox. Hi, everyone. Uh, We just wanted to share with you that one of the things we love to do here at Vox is provide the opportunity to come and gather together in community in a wide variety of contexts. One of the best ways to find out some of the events that we're doing, even that individuals are hosting, is on our Facebook page, Life Around the Table. Can you turn to the person next to you and say, Vox has a Facebook page? Awesome. (laughs) Uh, So if you go on Life Around the Table, you'll see lots of different events that are happening with uh, members of the community. And for those of you that don't have Facebook or just aren't feeling like you're connected and plugged in, Heather and I are going to be available after service. We'll be standing outside the foyer by the lovely mountain painting. So you'll find us right there. And we'd love to just connect with you, get some feedback from you about different activities that we might be able to plan, ways for you to connect, and for us to all get to know each other better. So we're looking forward to meeting you if we haven't had the opportunity to do so yet. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Yeah. So we have our, uh, our monthly picnic uh, after the service. We'll be hanging out out there on the patio and uh, on the grass, so we'd love for you to partake in that. Um, as you go this week, uh, may you just go knowing that God has saved the best for you uh, and that he invites you into this relationship with him to fill you um, and to, uh, to let you let go of the things that have holded you back in, in your life. And so pray that you would do that this week as you go and, and, and interact with the people in your family, uh, in your work, and the places that you just you live. So uh, enjoy the, the rest of your day, and we'll see you back here next weekend, okay? All right, see you guys. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.